five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Boucher. On this week's episode of the Space Economy Podcast, my returning guest is Ewan Reed, CEO of Mission Control Space Services. On May 26, Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, François-Philippe Champagne, announced that Canada was sending Canadian technology to the moon on a rover mission scheduled for next year. Here's everything you need to know. Welcome back, Ewan, to the Space Economy Podcast, and have we got some exciting news. Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm pleased to be here. All right. The Minister of Innovation, Science, and Industry, François-Philippe Champagne, and I really wish I could just say the Minister of Industry, but they don't like that, announced on May 26 that your company was going to receive a $3 million Lunar Exploration Accelerator Program contract, and that your technology would be heading to the moon next year on a United Arab Emirates rover mission called the Emirates Lunar Mission. To put this into context for our audience, I believe this is the largest contract your company has been awarded to date, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. And of course, you're going to be the first Canadian company to participate in a lunar rover mission that I'm aware of. This is a big deal. So when you and your team found out that you were going to receive this contract, how did everyone react? Well, thanks for the question, Mark. We were very excited. and. Uh, you know, as you know, what goes into these uh, things is a lot of hard work leading up to it. As much as there's a lot of hard work to come, you know, we have yet to deploy our system on the moon and enable this mission. Um, but beforehand, there's a lot of work too. And our colleagues, you know, Michele Faragelli, our CTO, I, I had a lot of sleepless nights uh, leading up to getting that proposal uh, shipped and out the door. And so, you know, it was... Um, it was the culmination of all sorts of hard work and years of other programs and building up IP and experience and capabilities. Um, and then to get the nod that, you know, we've been selected, that that CSA is going to put their faith in us. Um, and as well, our international partners, you know, that MBRC is interested to have support from Canadians and not only for ourselves, but the, the four universities that will support the mission's path planning and science, um, as well as our partners, Zyphos, who are actually building the hardware for the mission. Um, so, you know, everyone's putting their faith in us to do this. So we have a lot of pride. A lot of excitement uh, for the mission to come and and to be participating, uh, you know, going to the moon. Um, and I guess you know, you said correct me if I'm wrong. I I will make a clarification because uh, the CSA, who's such a great partner of ours, uh, has always been very clear with me. Um, they don't refer to this as a contract. Uh, now we've signed a binding legal agreement on paper, so I, I think our lawyers would say it's a contract, but they call it a contribution agreement. Um, it's a non-repayable grant, and it's different in their eyes because they are not uh, procuring the technology for their use, uh, but rather they're uh, enabling uh, they're they're enabling us to. A complete a capability demonstration. So we're spending money and they're giving some of that money back to us to make sure that we're able to do that. And the reason is because in doing so, we hope to be able to sell this technology uh, over and over again around the world. And that's really good for Canada. That brings in you know foreign direct investment. It creates jobs. It does all sorts of good things. And so that's what CSA is trying to help us uh, achieve. And uh, since we're at the CSA that is kind of leading up this capability demonstration program, has done a great job to be able to, to kind of make this all come together. 
So the CSA is going to be very happy with you for clearing that up because I'm pretty sure that they're not happy with me at times when I refer to these contribution grants as contracts, even though legally they are contracts, but that's semantics. So I, your company is relatively new. I mean, you've been doing this for a while leading up to this, right? But it's still relatively new. And thinking big picture, what does this type of contribution grant mean for a company like yours? It means so many things. Uh, one is to be able to validate the technology in a mission. You know, that's a TRL, that's technology readiness level advancement. So that allows us to say to our future and pers prospective customers, look, it's been on the moon before, it's worked before. Uh, we've provided value to partners before we can provide value to you. So that lets us go out and, and have those conversations and close deals and ultimately make sales and grow as a company, which is critical. And without being able to do that, without being able to, you know, to deploy it on the moon and make it work, it's a hard sale. You know, how do you sell something to somebody and say, hey, we're going to, you know, take this. It's going to make your mission, you know, more efficient or cheaper or better. And they say, well, does it work? And we say, oh, we're pretty sure it works. You know, that that's not going to work. So the, this demonstration, that's critical. Um, the funding itself is is very significant because it is in a way, uh, I, I've kind of used this analogy before. I, I kind of, you can look at LEAP, the, the Lunar Exploration Accelerator Program, a little bit as something like a venture fund, only it's non-dilutive, right? So instead of a, a VC coming in and saying, here's a few million dollars, um, oh, but we want 20% of your company, and we want you to do certain things X, Y, and Z to be able to exit a certain you know uh, size in a few years, this is the CSA saying, here's a few million dollars. Uh, good luck. Uh, you know, and, and how can we help? Can we help with, with you know, facilities or project management or experience along the way or, or introductions? So in the sense, it's, uh, it's you know, that's an amazing scenario um, and, and makes sense, right? Because it, space is traditionally a difficult area to secure VC funding because uh, of the timeline of return investments. Um, that's changing now. And I think all this to say is is by having the CSA come on board, provide funding, uh, a, a somewhat tacit endorsement of our capabilities, it makes us easy to turn around to those kind of stakeholders and, and make a more compelling pitch too. Um, and, a, and another big area that I would be remiss if I didn't mention is recruiting. Uh, you know, we are trying to hire people. We're a growing company, um, you know, kind of financially doubled last year and, and you know, see big growth rates in the future as well. That means we're trying to hire. We have five job postings right now. If anyone's listening, please check out our website. Um, but it makes it a little easier for us to hire people when we say, hey, you know, you're going to come here. You're going to work with a great team. Uh, we've got good benefits. We've got a good corporate culture. You know, we're gr great location in, in downtown Ottawa. Oh, and by the way, you know, what you're working on is going to go to the moon. Uh, and, and maybe not once, but hopefully many, many times. You know, that's always a pretty nice selling point for people, especially folks that, uh, that want to work in this industry. So, you know, those are kind of the high level things. Uh, but I guess also I'd, I'd add that you know, our, our whole team is inspired by exploration, you know, by space and discovery. And, and, you know, we are now tangibly doing that. And, you know, we were doing it before. We've always been a space company working in space. But there's a big difference between selling technology for an analog mission or, or doing a paper concept study uh, and, and sending hardware to enable a, a rover mission and, and a bunch of firsts, too. So all pretty exciting. 
Right. So this really takes everything you've done and makes it very real because, well, it's going to the moon now. So let's actually talk about, uh, get into that mission a bit. So the mission you're participating in includes the Japanese Hakura Lander, which will have the UAE micro rover on board. The lander, the rover, and other payloads will launch on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket to the moon in 2022 next year. It's my understanding you're going to provide a navigation computer with AI software for the micro rover. Can you tell me more about the hardware and software and the mission? Get into the details. Give us the good stuff. Sure. I'll, I'll share what I can share. So um, it's a really exciting international collaboration. Like you said, a whole bunch of companies, uh, space agencies, uh, organizations involved. Um, our computer, it's, it's software that we've developed. It's it's an ongoing, uh, I guess it's an extenuation of software we've originally developed for a Mars rover concept uh, for the CSA. Uh, we've adapted it to do a kind of basic level of autonomous science uh, to help operators on the ground make decisions more quickly, more readily, and, and make the mission more efficient. And that software will be deployed on, as I mentioned, a, a computer that's built by a company called Zyphos in Montreal, another Canadian SME. And what's interesting, I, I think, in particular is that a couple things. One is that this computer will actually sit on the lander. So it's enabling the rover mission um, and it's communicating with the rover, but it's not sitting on the rover. And so that's something of a, of a, it's not exactly the right definition, but it's something of an edge computing architecture. And that's something that we've done a lot of work investigating in and, and think is um, highly relevant for a lot of missions moving forwards where rovers, especially these small ones, um, you know, the, there's a, a current RFP open, as you know, for a Canadian micro rover. I believe the limit for that is 30 kilograms. That's highly resource constrained. Um, can you offboard some of the processing required and, and therefore offboard some of the uh, waste heat that the processor creates to a, a lander, which has maybe more ability to collect energy from the sun and more ability to reject heat to the surrounding space. So that's an interesting architecture. Um, we also then, uh, it's critical to point out that as well as providing this computer with this AI on the lander, we are using our mission control software, our, our ground uh, control platform. It's a cloud-based solution for operating and automating things deployed in harsh and remote environments. And so scientists, engineers at Concordia University, Carleton University, University of Western Ontario and University of Winnipeg will be participating in the MBRSC's missions path planning teams and uh, and science teams, and they'll be getting the data in near real time using the software and different interfaces that we'll develop. And again, we'll be getting validation on a lunar mission for the software. So it's both you know the onboard software on the space segment side and the the ground software on the ground. And then I guess the last thing I'd say is that uh, again, as far as we know. Um, this will be the first use of a convolutional neural network on the moon. So again, I'm, I'm not sure what other companies and countries are doing all the time. You sometimes know and you sometimes don't, but it looks like we will be the first to do that. Um, so not only will we be, as you say, uh, hopefully the first Canadian company to participate on a micro rover mission and give us you know, important heritage in that domain, uh, maybe a world's first in terms of the first uh, CNN uh, on the moon. Now, so you just told me something that I didn't know, which was the fact that the actual uh, uh, hardware is actually going to be on the, the lander as opposed to the, the micro rover. Um, so uh, how about some very simple questions? Um, 
and I'll actually have to change it a bit because you gave me this new information. So how far can the micro rover go from the lander uh, in this mission? Because you're communicating with it, right? Yes. Um, I really should know that answer off the top of my head, and I have to scramble and look it up as we are talking. Let's see how quickly <laughs> I can do this. Uh, feel free to ask me a question while I look it up. <laughs> what uh, size is the micro rover? Okay. I'm, that, that's another one that I also know off the top of my head, and I don't remember the number. I think it's like a 10-kilogram class. I should have both these answers in the document I just opened. Let's see. Not that I want to do gotcha questions. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I, it, if you ask, uh, uh, I sit in a different chair these days, and I, you know, spend a lot of my, a lot of my time back in the day just developing rover concepts for for CSA, and I, I, you know, I still remember, you know, the pinout on connectors that that are inside rovers that CSA uses. But when you ask me about a rover mission I'd be working on, I, I don't know the answer because I'm, you know, so focused on the details in the contribution agreement, and, um, you know, what counts as a cost incurred and paid, and things like that. So. Um, I'm struggling to find both the distance and the mass. Well, let me see if I can get them, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer in a moment when I can get them, but in the meantime, you can ask me a new question. <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this one either, because it's in the same sort of vein, which is, uh, how will the micro rover communicate back to Earth? Uh, it will communicate via the lander. So that's a question I can answer. Uh, the lander system will will communicate, um, and that's interesting actually um, because there's a lot of different rover missions planned in the near term in different countries and companies, and they all have uh, there's different architectures. And I think it's worth noting that um, again the the Canadian micro rover has requirements to facilitate what they call DTE direct to earth communication which means the rover does not need the lander it can it can talk directly down to the ground um, that does constrain the bandwidth significantly uh, because you don't have again the the, the power and the, the size of a comm system that you can have on a lander uh, so in this case yeah they're leveraging the, the Japanese lander from, uh, built by iSpace um, it will be also sending data down from the other payloads it's carrying it's it's a you know commercial mission um, but but the rover is an important one and doing that so it won't have the ability to communicate um except you know to the lander and then and then thence to the ground and um with respect to the the lander itself um how many are there any other rovers that are going to be on it other micro rovers um i, I can I, I think happily say uh if I knew the answer to that one, I probably wouldn't be allowed to answer it because um, if you haven't seen anything in the public domain about what's on the payload manifest for iSpace's lander, um, then then they probably wouldn't want it talked about. I, I honestly don't know, um, so I, I can I can kind of claim ignorance. My my guess would be that there isn't uh, because. Um, uh, there's a, you know, the, the, the lander, uh, sorry, the rover itself it represents a pretty significant payload, the, the MBRC rover. And I'm getting word now it's, it's about 500 meters is the range that the rover can drop can drive away from the lander. And it is a 10 uh, kilogram rover. Cause I looked it up. There we go. So I got that one right. And I just, I just didn't know the 500 meters and now I know that. So. 500 meters. Okay. So that's a, that's a pretty good uh, distance. Do you have any idea how long the, or you should know, um, how long the, the mission is ideally supposed to last once you yeah, get on the ground? It, so, so it's not designed to be able to survive lunar night. So uh, as 
as folks may or may not know, the, a, a day, uh, sunlight on the moon is uh, at the equator. Uh, it's about 14 Earth days long, you know, a 28 Earth day uh, cycle. And so 14 days of light and 14 days of dark. And this is a, a mission that will go to a region like that where um, it will get dark and then it will get cold and the rover will stop working. So the rover will be designed to, to operate for that first lunar day and do as much science, um, you know, explore as far as it can, take as many pictures, et cetera. And, and be able to um, to do all that, and then you know the mission will will end. Uh, again, to draw a contrast, um, the Canadian Space Agency's RFP that's open right now, I believe, is calling for a rover uh, with a, a goal of being able to survive for lunar night. And, and I think that's an interesting decision that's been taken um, to make that a priority, um, it, it, particularly given that the lander that takes that rover may not survive. And therefore, again, you're beholden to have that uh, direct Earth comm system. Um, again, it's... it's uh, interesting in that lots of these first missions won't be surviving the night and folks aren't focusing on that they're focusing on on technologies which are are kind of cutting edge and scalable rather than uh you know spending money on thermal systems just to make something survive longer but i think there also are benefits to surviving the night and um i can also see why there's um you know from the public perspective it might not seem like a big uh, uh, you know a a valuable mission when it only lasts a few weeks, but I, I can assure you that you know the science that you can achieve and the technological validation uh, that you can demonstrate, and then also the chance to inspire the, you know the next generation. Those can all be achieved in my mind in in one day. So um, it's interesting that that we're targeting longer, but uh, we're interested to see how that goes. Well, I mean, it's an iterative process, right? You start off with, you know, technology demonstration in this area, then you learn from that, you move on to the next rover, and then you move on and you move on. And, and as these missions get more advanced, you can do more. Um, I mean, it's very similar to, you know, uh, I think of the 60s with the U.S. sending all of its probes then the Russians, you know, the Mariners and everything to, to different locations. And, you know, hey, if they survived and took a picture, communicated back, that was, you know, an achievement. Right. And as each mission went on, they, they improved on 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 the, the technology. Um, right. Well, in, maybe in that you... vein, Mark, I'd be interested, you know, in. My personal opinion, and you know, maybe not speaking on behalf of the company or other stakeholders in industry who might want to slap me after I say this, but um, uh, you know, I might be more interested in trying to. I think you know, the price tag of this Canadian rover will be you know something uh, north of forty million dollars. Um, you know, I, I might, as a individual citizen, say, well, would there be value in in ha taking a riskier approach and and sending two more commercial grade? Uh, rovers for 20 million and rather than putting all your eggs in one basket on a lander that may or may not survive when all the landers are all commercial grade maybe maybe put uh, two cheaper rovers that yeah, maybe they don't survive a lunar night and maybe they don't work perfectly but they take that picture but you don't have all your eggs in one basket it's again I, probably a perspective csa is considered um so you know like the, to see the way it's come out but that's uh, that's another option as well it's interesting you say that because um i was just um, um did a story yesterday on um, uh, what was it the the Canadian contribution uh, the lunar gateway uh, and the robotics the gateway external robotics interfaces that uh, that are going to be built by uh, MDA 
and um, they the mission that they're going on is with uh, the U.S. Uh, power and propulsion element and the uh, Halo, the Habitat, and those two mission those two missions are now one mission because they want to cut costs and so they're mating them together and launching them on one launch so they're basically putting all their eggs in that one basket per se for this very crucial elements or two elements that will be needed to uh you know get into lunar orbit so that the astronauts can theoretically land in 2024 so anyway um all right, so the mission is not going to last too long. Um, do you think they'll even try to communicate with it after a lunar night just to see if they can ping it? Uh, absolutely, uh, you know, <laughs> for sure. Um, and who knows? But I, I think, um, you, you know, the, the engineers can can model this stuff pretty well and, you know, it will get cold. So, I, you know, I don't think there's much optimism there, but uh, – and I, again, I don't know the, the details on that, um, but I, I think it's uh, it's unlikely. But yeah, they'll definitely try. All right. So, what does mission success look like for you once this mission launches? Um, certainly, that everything works. Um, everything that we are providing, um, I think, enabling our international partners to have a successful mission, and I think part of what they're trying to do is is for their mission to be international. They, they've got participants from other countries as well outside the UAE. I know in, in France uh, is one, I believe in Germany, I think other places. Um, if we can distribute the mission data to, to teams here in Canada, if they can help, if, if the MBRC rover can you know, discover new things, you know, uh, validate some of the uh, LRO data or, um, you know, whatever new scientific discoveries we can enable, um, you know, and, and not be, uh, uh, you know, that, yeah, that everything works, that what we send up there works and enables the mission and the mission is successful. I think that's, that's our criteria. Now, uh, I just want to go back to the universities for a mm -hmm. second. You said, uh, so Carleton University, Concordia University, uh, University of Winnipeg, and Western University. So the um, micro rover is going to gather some data. It's going to then upload that uh, into the cloud. And then once it's in the cloud, the universities and other participants are going to have access to that data and, and do some research on it. Is that what I, I understood? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's a good summary. And, and not only research in terms of, you know, uh, kind of afterwards looking at it and writing papers, which will be part of it, but in real time. And so um, we'll be using our, our some of our, so our ground-based software tools to support the path planning activities. So uh, an output from our team, and, uh, you know, this includes engineers at Mission Control and scientists at Mission Control, as well as the universities, um, but we'll be using software tools to to help plan the paths for the rover, and we'll be providing those to the team at MBRSC uh, to then use those as inputs on their driving decisions. Um, and so then, you know, that's one element of it. And then the other element of it is is more on the science side, you know, looking at uh, the, the scientific features. And, and this is where our, our chief science officer, Melissa, is going to be, you know, wishing she was here beside me to whisper in my ear because I'm not going to say the right thing exactly on, on what we're doing scientifically. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll be, the, the teams will be contributing to the science in real time in, you know, the, the old terminology, I think, was science backroom for, for missions uh, in that sense. Is kind of what you can think of is that we've got, you know, scientists uh, 
operating or sitting at a console, you know, 24-7 during those few weeks uh, in, in a few locations in Canada to make sure that, you know, uh, as much science is squeezed out of the mission uh, in real time. I mean, all these are early missions, right, are, are going up to collect data with different sensors and cameras and things. And uh, because of the limited bandwidth, they're all going to leave data on the moon, so to speak. So we want to get as much out of the, the mission as we can, and we want to make smart decisions in real time. And that's, again, what a lot of the software we're creating is designed to help achieve. I just had a look, and the uh, rover, from what I understand, is supposed to have two high-resolution cameras, a microscopic camera, uh, a thermal imaging camera. It will also have what's called, which I don't know what it is, a Langmuir probe, which will study the moon's plasma and attempt to explain why the moon dust is so sticky, which I think is very important for um, future exploration and, and suit development. Um, and they're also going to study mobility on the surface and how uh, different surfaces interact with lunar particles. How's that? Yeah, I mean that's a lot more detail than than I provided, and 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 that you know that speaks to some of the researchers that we've got on the team. Uh, Dr. Chris Goniechna at Concordia has you know done a lot of that kind of work. He he sent up a uh, a rover wheel uh, in a, in a dirty uh, thermal vacuum chamber on a. The, the the Falcon can GRX, like the, the micro G or the one six G flight, you know, so it's like that kind of work now is, is moving on to the moon. And, and again, by, by us sending the data around, we'll let those, those Canadian researchers, you know, do that work. Now, if uh, I think I heard you er correctly earlier, you said you're going to go to an equatorial landing site. Has, uh, has a uh, landing site been selected yet? Uh, let me see if I can look that up. Um, I think all those questions would be in this document that I have in front of me. I believe it has. Uh, I don't happen to know it offhand. Um, that might be one you can Google or I can ask my, my team, which I'm doing right now. Okay. And, and while you're doing that, um, if you had a choice, would you rather go to a pole, South Pole? I mean, the... the <laughs> Oh, pun intended. Uh, the poles are pretty hot right now. Um, you know, they're not. They're cold, and there's a lot of permanently shadowed regions, uh, PSRs on the poles that we believe are cold traps for volatiles, uh, frozen water, uh, hydroxyl um, things that you know elements that we could at some point extract and become constituents of rocket fuel. And um, you know, there are NASA missions planned to the poles, and it looks like the CSA mission will be a polar mission. So you know, th there's a lot of reasons to go there. I think, uh, to me, it's all exciting. Um, it, you know, we're 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 going to a, another body in our in our solar system, another celestial body. I mean, it's not another planet, but it's you know, it's another place. And I think any new you know, rock or crater or mountain or Mare or wherever we're exploring now is going to be exciting. It's going to provide uh, new information to to humanity that we haven't known. Um, it's one small step closer to us, you know, uh, taking a, a, a step out of our cradle of, of Earth and, and uh, you know, moving farther out and, and into the future. So I, it's all good and exciting to me. And um, I'm not I'm not too particular about exactly where it's going to land. Now, moving on now. I, I'm, and we're going to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, which I was going to bring up at this point, which is uh, you said you're going to you're looking to hire five people. Mm. Um, how many people do you have working there now? Is it? I think it was, I looked on the website and it you know looked like 24 that are full time, and then there were some external people. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's twenty one. Maybe it is more than that now. Twenty one. I feel is the number I've said. We have a, we have a few students. We always have um, co op students. Um, we've got a few from different right. universities this time, uh, which is really nice. And if you're a student out there listening, you know, please apply. We'd love to give you a chance and uh, yeah, have so what, us what, get have a chance. So, yeah. what what skill sets are you looking for? Uh, when it comes to the students, uh, predominantly software development, software engineering or software development, um, more and more we need other things too, systems engineering, uh, science. Uh, we may hire a, a co-op in science for the next term, uh, like planetary science. Um, we've had interns in on the business side of things, kind of marketing and, and uh, things like that. Um, but... Uh, we have a lot like our kind of uh, the most common skill set of someone on our team would be software development and you know we 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 talk about ourselves as a software company i i would say that mission control is a space exploration and robotics company but that what we do is develop software uh, software to operate and automate systems so yeah what languages um c++ uh there's you know different skill sets and and different ones depending on what we're talking about on embedded and cloud and UI and uh, you know um, you can kind of look at the job postings but uh, yeah I, I won't I won't share kind of more here I guess sorry Pearl Pearl <laughs> I don't think Pearl that kind of rules me out I'm I got yeah. Pearl I've got Python a little bit of Java <laughs> yeah well there's you know there's some of that I um the other thing that I noticed, and, and this is a point that I, I think I'd, I'd, I want to make, um, because it's important, uh, looking at the, the big picture here of a s- startup in Canada, uh, software company, uh, engineering as well, um, you know, your company looks young in terms of your people. Are, are most of the people that you've you got working with you under 30? Uh, that's a good question. Um I wouldn't have thought so, but that might be roughly the mean age. I, I don't know what the the mode age would be, I guess, because of the students, it might be 20 or something. But yeah, the, the median might be in that range. I mean, I, I'll, I'll personally say thank you very much, Mark. I'm glad you think I, uh, I mean, you know. Uh, I wasn't talking 40, about you. No, I know. I'm 43. I, I mean, there's a few, a few of us that are, you know, there's a few older than me, uh, for sure. And um, we we hired a, a great cohort of engineers when we first started. Uh, Kazad Ramawala and Evan Small both joined us in 2016, right out of school, either undergrad or masters, and now have evolved and grown up into more senior roles within the company. And so certainly they've had an amazing opportunity and experience to kind of, uh, you know, in a small company, you can kind of grow more quickly than a big one in a certain way, right? You don't have to kind of move through certain levels and, and you're kind of just given more, uh, you know, uh, more room to run. And, and if you run and, 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 you know, you do do well, you get that chance. So so that means, yeah, there's some some people that are uh, maybe younger than than what their their counterparts at other companies would be. Um, Matt, our senior software engineer, is, is I think, you know, late 30s. Am I allowed to say that? Sorry, Matt, I probably just violated, like, our HR privacy policy. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think we're generally younger. Um, I, I think we're we're fairly uh, diverse in terms of a lot of factors. Um, and I think we've really focused on trying to make a, uh, a team that that everyone wants to be a part of and that enjoys working together and that – again, is inspired by exploration, um, it, you know, wants to do hard work, uh, wants to also have a bit of a work-life balance. And um, 
yeah, I think that's that's gone well so far, and I hope that we're able to continue that as we grow. I think that may be a challenge, but that's certainly something we're going to focus on. Now, um, one last thought on on that is that. <sighs> Do you think that there's more opportunities now in the space sector for young students in Canada where they can stay in Canada as opposed to maybe considering leaving? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, going back a few years ago, um, you know, there have been cuts to the CSA and that ripples through to industry who who has to kind of pull in their reins on on certain things and um there were companies leaving or being acquired you know comdev was bought by honeywell and mda became maxar and just went to the us and walked away and you know like it was it was a bit of a tough spell there for a while and i'm sure that it impacted the chance for students to engage with the industry a lot of that has changed right we've seen more money go to csa we've seen uh mda repatriated um we're seeing all sorts of new activities in space on the exploration side, like us for sure, but also in things like, you know, Telesat Leo. Um, space is booming. I think Canada is the government's recognizing that they are making an investment because of that. That enables us to participate in that boom, and students get to come along for the ride. And I think, you know, for us, it, we we benefit so much by bringing students on board. Um, we have hired. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to think now. I, Two of the, the best young engineers we have, uh, Michael and Apexha, were both co-op students, and uh, we hired them when they were done. And and we've got some great co-ops, part-time students right now that I, I hope as heck are going to come and work with us when we're done. Uh, you know, we really want them. And, you know, it, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, so I, I think right now it is a, a different scenario. I, I will say that there are still opportunities, you know, boundless opportunities for, for smart Canadian students to go work in the U.S. And there's plenty more work that we can do as a community in, in terms of both industry and government to, to you know, provide opportunities for Canadian students to stay. You know, there's no question about that. Um, but we're doing better and, and we're making, we're going in the right direction. And so that's a good thing. I think we should, you know, recognize that and then, and then keep working to that end. So I have one last topic, uh, and it sort of goes to how you got here in some respects. Um, in 2018, uh, Canada, the Canadian Space Agency, signed an MOU with the UAE. Then in 2019, in April, you participated as uh, in a trade delegation to the UAE as part of the Global Space Con uh, Congress. Did that trade mission... And I suppose that MOU that was originally signed with the uh, UAE, did that mission lead to your participation with, uh, uh, with the Mohammed bin uh, Rashid Space Center on this mission? Um, well, one thing I can say is that I think the work that the CSA does in terms of industry relations and uh, playing a, an advocacy role for Canadian companies abroad uh, in partnership with groups at Global Affairs, both the Trade Commissioner Service, but also the, for instance, the embedded uh, like aerospace trade commissioners, uh, an, an excellent representative in the past was Samantha Condi, who did great work in that domain. Um, th those individuals, those groups uh, play a really important role. And again, that would be another area where I would love to see them get more funding from the federal government to be able to send trade missions uh, around the world uh, in, to more places, to, to more conferences, to more events. When you get the uh, credibility that, that that brings, when, when I, I went and visited MBRSC in person, when I sit down at the table and beside me is Sylvain Laporte, who's on the trade mission with me, that brings so much additional credibility, right? If I show up there by myself, 
you know, maybe I can get that meeting, maybe I can't, I don't know. But what's the outcome? Again, uncertain. When I can show up with someone like that, uh, it makes a lot of difference. We around the world will see events uh, at the International Astronomical Congress, for example, uh, Germany hosts this event, and one call, calls it German Night, and it, you know it's this one night uh, event where they host hundreds of people to come for for drinks and food and uh, a big reception, um, a really important networking event. And you know I, I've made business deals there myself. I'd love to see Canada do something similar, and I think the CSA is well equipped to be able to execute on that in support of you know along with with GAC. Um, they need to get the support. From, from higher levels to be able to do that. Um, so yeah, I guess at a high level, I'll say, you know, that trip was uh, very valuable and fruitful and helped build relationships uh, as well as other trips. You know, they, they all kind of come together to build relationships in different ways. Um, we maintain a good relationship with iSpace. Uh, iSpace has a few Canadians uh, on the staff. Uh, they also have an MOU with CSA. Um, building up that relationship has also been valuable as well. So. Um, it's, it is all uh, important work. The CSA hosted a great event at the Canadian Embassy in Washington uh, two years ago now uh, for IAC. Uh, more, more things like that are going to help the Canadian firms that we're seeing emerge uh, in this kind of new space economy, uh, global leaders. Um, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the truth. All right. Any last uh, thoughts? Anything I missed? Um. Well, I, I, I guess, uh, uh, you know, I, I think exciting times for Canadians in space. Uh, great to see a, a recent announcement about some funding for Space Health Under Leap. Um, really exciting that Canada will be uh, putting a rover on the moon in a few years, uh, leveraging all the great experience that Canada has with robotics, uh, turning that into uh, a rover mission um, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I think students and, and the general public should be excited and inspired. Um, they will, I think, continue to see value from these activities um, in the, both the, the near and the far term. And ultimately, I think Canada can be a major player in, in the space sector, in the space economy of the future. And it's these steps that we're taking now that's going to position ourselves to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, again, I applaud the CSA for putting their faith in us. Um, congratulate my entire team. Uh, our entire, you know, they're amazing and they've, they they pulled this together themselves and, you know, way to go. And uh, and I guess thanks a lot, Mark, for taking the time to interview me and listeners for uh, for tuning in. Well, it's exciting news. And, uh, you know, we'll try and get the word out there as much as we can. I'll get you back on the show at some point down the road uh, when things are, are heating up towards uh, the mission, I suppose. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel at The Economy Space to contact us or send an email to podcast at spaceq.ca. Help others discover our podcast by writing a review on whichever platform you use. Thank you, and see you next week.